You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A vigilante appears to be interfering with Emotet's payloads. A fintech breach is blamed on a third-party service provider. A list of Cloudflare users is dumped online. There's a going-out-of-business sale over at the Cerbera Cyber Gang. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture Labs on deepfake detection. Our own Rick Howard gathers the hash table to sort some socks. And Garmin, restoring its services after last week's attack, may have been the victim of Evil Corp's wasted locker ransomware. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, July 27th, 2020. A vigilante is contesting control of the Emotet infrastructure with its criminal masters, ZDNet reports. About a quarter of all Emotet payloads are thought to be affected. The specific method of interference is replacement of the images that carry the malicious Emotet payload with harmless animated GIFs. Emotet, you will recall, had for some time been reckoned among the more dangerous strains of crimeware in circulation. Its botnet went silent in the first week of February— but returned in its present form earlier this month. The vigilante's work was first observed last Tuesday. Who the vigilante might be is unknown, but speculation runs from it being an individual or crew from the security industry to independent white hats to a rival criminal gang trying to take market share from Emotet. Digital banking app maker Dave, also a tech unicorn, and no relation to this host of your podcast, yesterday confirmed that it had sustained a data breach that exposed more than 7 million users' data, ZDNet reports. The data lost include names, phone numbers, emails, birth dates, and home addresses. Social security numbers were also lost but were apparently encrypted, and passwords accessed in the breach are said to have been hashed. Dave attributes the compromise to a breach at Waydev, a third party which was once a service provider. The data have appeared on more than one hacking forum. The most prominent release was by the shiny hunters on Raid, where the data were posted without charge. For its part, Dave says that it's working with the FBI and that it's brought in CrowdStrike to help recover from the incident. Interfax reports that Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council reports that some 3 million Cloudflare users have been named and their IP addresses identified in a dark web dump. This story is still developing. Hard times in the world of crime, at least for the gang responsible for Cerberus. 
The Android banking trojan is up for sale. Bleeping Computer reports that security intelligence firm Hudson Rock found the for-sale signs malware-as-a-service racket is auctioning itself off for a reserve price of $50,000. If you'd prefer not to bid, then the whole shebang, customer list, installation guide, and source code can be yours for $100,000 cash on the virtual barrel head. Why the sale? According to the post-offering to sell Cerberus, it's a matter of time. The gang broke up and the maintainer can't sit on the site 24-7 to provide users the promised support. We hope Cerberus disappears, but it will probably be back under new management. Last week's attack on Garmin is now believed to have been wasted locker ransomware, Bleeping Computer says. The BBC reports that the extortionist demanded a $10 million ransom from Garmin. The company is continuing to restore its services. Aviation services were first back up last week and service for wearables returned over the weekend, although some users are still complaining of problems. The company has been relatively tight-lipped concerning what it's characterized as an outage, but Garmin has reassured its customers that, to the best of its knowledge, none of their data are at risk. The perpetrators are thought to be the Evil Corp Russian cyber gang. Evil Corp was placed under U.S. sanctions in December of last year, and that complicates the risk calculation of any victim that might be considering paying the ransom. We note that there's been no suggestion we've seen that Garmin is interested in doing this. Paying Evil Corp would itself constitute a violation of U.S. sanctions and could expose any victim who paid to legal consequences. So what's up with Evil Corp? Here we turn to British tabloids and the American feds for enlightenment. Fleet Street, which glories in lurid tales of crime, has published some screamers over the weekend about Maxim Viktorich Jakobets, generally regarded as Evil Corp's proprietor. Permit us to share some of them. The Daily Mail calls him a 33-year-old Russian playboy hacker who drives a customized $250,000 Lamborghini that sports vanity plates featuring the word vor, that is, thief. He shares the Russian underworld's odd predilection for making pets of exotic big cats, in his case, a pet tiger and lion cubs. The mail cites as evidence of his immunity from molestation by Russian police Mr. Yakabetz's selfie videos of doing donuts around cop cars in his tricked-out Lambo, which apparently don't even get him a traffic ticket. The Sun points out, complete with glamour shots and wedding photos, that Mr. Yakabetz is married to the glamorous and well-connected Alyona Bendierskaya, whose daddy is a senior retired officer in Russia's FSB, one of the KGB's successor agencies. Papa is said to have popped for a 250,000 euro wedding at a golf club, which the son reports on rather breathlessly as if all of this is a bad thing or something. Maybe there's something to that, since traditionally golf was regarded as a decadent Western sport over in Russia. But times change. And as for those 250,000 pounds spent on cake... DJ, hall renting, catering, specially printed paper, napkins, and so on. Well, come on, it was the bride's special day. Where's the love? But anywho, any of that high-octane social juice is said to explain, in part, why Mr. Jakobetz enjoys the apparent immunity he does from arrest in Russia. A more significant piece of the explanation, at least as seen through Anglo-American eyes, is that Mr. Jakobetz is in cahoots with the FSB, 
that is, his gang, is among those the official Russian organs call upon for various services against those they wish to damage in cyberspace. That's what the U.S. Treasury Department said when they lowered the sanctions boom last December. So, Mr. Yakubets is wanted by the U.S. FBI for conspiracy and conspiracy to commit fraud, also for wire fraud, bank fraud, and for intentional damage to a computer. The Bureau is offering up to $5 million for information leading to Mr. Yakubets's arrest and conviction. He and his associates remain at large, and they're expected to do so until they either wear their welcome out at home or decide to do something rash like vacation in Florida, which when we last checked had an extradition agreement in place with the United States. Still, trying to check in at the Disney World Four Seasons seems like a logical next step for one consumed by criminal hubris, or at least someone with a major urge to visit the happiest place on Earth. And whatever they may say, that ain't the Arbot. Rick Howard is the CyberWire's chief security officer. He is also our chief analyst. But more important than any of that, he is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast over on CyberWire Pro. Rick, great to have you back. Thank you, sir. It's great to be here. Uh, We are uh, deep into uh, season two. I guess not too deep. Episode two of season two. And you are kicking off uh, something you're calling your hash table interviews. What's going on here? Yeah, we're bringing in a new element. Uh, we're calling it the hash table interviews. Uh, we talked about this last week, but I cajoled a bunch of my friends and thought leaders and just really smart people about coming on and talking about a specific topic. And this show will be the first time uh, that we do that. Uh, and I, it turned out really well. All right. So I, I think you guys will all be pleased with the results. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to listen to a preview and it is it is compelling content. Uh, Take us through what's some of the stuff you're covering this week. Well, the thing I want to point out here is that, you know, we've been talking about what are the skill sets for, you know, just generally cybersecurity people, but specifically in this episode, uh, what does a SOC analyst need? And for the last five or six years, CISOs have been talking about just table stakes these days is not really having a deep computer science background or some deep technical math background. Uh, a little bit helps, but what you really need is be able to learn on your own, okay? And because uh, I'm, I'm not going to solve your problem for you. I'm going to hand you this big dripping bag of problems and make and expect you <laughs> to figure it out, right? right. <laughs> so and so that's kind of been the general theme. Um, but I was talking to Kevin Ford on the show. He's the uh, CISO over the state of North Dakota, which is a, this is a fascinating job. Anyway, we could probably spend three hours talking about that. Hmm. But he has a uh, different take, or at least an additional take on this, right? Uh, but before I play the clip, okay, just you have to know that Kevin cut his teeth as a young network defender at NASA, right? That's hmm. a cool job. Yeah. He was a master information assurance and security specialist. So he's kind of a space nerd, just like you and me. Yeah. Uh, so here's the clip. You know, I'm looking for the astronauts. I'm looking for the people who won't, who won't buckle. Um, and generally, um, those people are the people who are... Uh, will have a conversation with you and be very genuine. Uh, they won't be afraid to tell you they don't know something. They won't be afraid to uh, tell you, hey, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do this, uh, but no guarantees. Because I want people I can trust, um, not a bunch of yes men and women, when we're doing incident response. Um, I want people who aren't afraid to fail. And so that's something I really try hard to instill in the team um, is that, you know, don't be afraid to fail. We need to try 
try things. Um, and, and one of my metrics is, is hold your beer moments. Um, so how, however many uh, hold my beer moments we've had within the sock in a week, um, I, I take more as good as long as things, you know, as long as smoke's not coming out of the machines and, and something's on fire, right? But if we've tried some pretty interesting things and failed, okay, well, at least we tried and now we know and we've learned lessons. You know, the more lessons you've learned by the time you have, you know, your big event or your big breach, the better off you're going to be. Wow, interesting stuff. I love both of those points, right? He's yeah. looking for people who will not buckle in a crisis, which is, you know, I guess I just always assume that, but it's great to point it out. Uh, and also people willing to try, and I love this phrase he uses, hold my beer events, right? <laughs> Inside mm-hmm. a sock. It kind of reminds me of, remember uh, Samuel Jackson in Jurassic Park? And yeah. they had to bring back the power <laughs> to the whole thing. And he's, you know, they basically do a reboot of the system. <laughs> and uh, when he does it, he goes... Hold on to your butts, okay? Yeah. That's that's my hold my beer moment. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll look forward to checking it out at CSO Perspectives over on CyberWire Pro. Uh, Do check it out. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She is the America's security R&D lead at Accenture Labs. Malek, it's always great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on deepfakes, and, and particularly, uh, how do you go about detecting if someone has generated a deepfake? Hi, Dave. Yeah, as you know, deepfakes are becoming uh, a real problem, um, you know, Deepfakes first are are known as these manipulations to image, sound, or video content. Uh, They can be subtle, uh, but, uh, you know, they may have drastic consequences. And so um, Accenture wanted to 
look into this problem. There are a number of deepfake detection models that have been proposed um, that look at the, um, you know, the facial expressions and extract the subject's facial expressions from the frames in a video. And based on that, they're trying to predict whether the video is a deepfake or not. Mm. Um, but there have been limitations to those models. Uh, they mostly rely on uh, CNNs, the convolutional neural networks, uh, which show great ability in detecting the deepfakes when they trained with data. But their, their main limitation is that they cannot generalize, uh, meaning that if you expose them to data that they have not seen before, to videos they have not been seen before, they are unable to accurately predict whether the, the video at hand is a deep fake or not. Hmm. So within, within my lab, what we wanted to look at is address this problem of lack of generalizability or what we call overfitting to the training data that was used to to build the model. And uh, in order to do so, we built some uh, additional models that work hand in hand with the full face CNN model to make this pre prediction. So you end up with an aggregate model, a primary model that is the full face CNN, and a secondary model that uh, itself is made up of weaker models uh, that look at certain features within within the, the image or within the, the facial expression. So you may have a model looking at the chin, you may have a, lot, a model looking at you know, the blur in the image, etc. All of these uh, secondary or weaker models are making their own predictions. Secondary model is evaluating all of them and making its own prediction. And then we aggregate that with the, the main full um, face CNN model to come up with a final prediction whether the video at hand uh, has been deep faked or not. Hmm. And this approach we think will be much more robust, uh, less vulnerable to overfitting, and will be able to predict deep fakes at, at a reasonable accuracy uh, when it sees a previously unforeseen data. So is the, the idea here that, uh, you know, I could have a video clip, I could load it into the type of system that you're describing and it would, uh, I don't know, come back with a, a percentage number or something and say with, with this amount of confidence, we think this either is or is not a deep fake? Exactly. It will come up with that likelihood uh, assessment of whether this is a deep fake video or not. And, and is this uh, to a certain degree a game of cat and mouse? I mean, is the as the deep fakes get better, and I suppose they would react to the type of things that you're developing here to try to stay one step ahead of you. This has been, yeah, a catamise game, uh, and it will continue to be so <laughs> as, as in anything in, in security, I suppose. Uh, so we'll just have to keep improving the technology as, as our adversaries keep improving theirs. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, interesting work for sure. Malik Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.